And it is really interesting if you read in scripture just the words of Jesus Christ. He talks on one powerful occasion in Doctrine and Covenants section 19 about what he suffered in Gethsemane. On the other end, there's more than 20 times where he talks about his crucifixion. So I'm not trying to create a competition between Gethsemane and Calvary. It's just interesting to note that exactly what you said, his emphasis is on his crucifixion. He says over and over again in the Doctrine and Covenants, I was crucified for the sins of the world. And sometimes maybe Latter-day Saints have a tendency to put most of the focus of Christ's atonement either in Gethsemane or with the living Christ, but the Savior himself is emphasizing, specifically with respect to atoning for sins, his crucifixion. Welcome to another episode of The Cultural Hall. If this is your first time, well, where have you been the last 10 years? The Cultural Hall is quickly becoming the most prolific pro-church show available in podcast form. Man, we need to find a quicker descriptor than all that. Uh, If you're looking for a place to be able to discuss some of the hard things, some of the historical things, some of the New Day culture things of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you have come to the right place. And there's lots of different facets of what we do here. Every week, you get a news episode uh, where we talk about, from the headlines, things that are going on. Sometimes we just mention the headlines so you can go, huh, good to know. Other times we dive a little deeper. And then uh, we do uh, longer episodes. We do interview episodes where we talk about different things like uh, Holy Week, like is what this episode is all about. Uh, We'll talk about... um, New books that are coming out uh, with our partnership with Deseret Book. Uh, be sure that you go to theculturalhall.com. Right there on the front page, you want to save some money on all the books that we've interviewed here in the Cultural Hall. You can do that. Just click on that ad that's right there. Save yourself like 15% uh, with our little affiliate thing that we have with Deseret Book. That's a great thing. Would love for you to do that. You can also join the Cultural Hall back row. That's a free group on, pay- on Facebook uh, where people are hanging out and just having great conversation about what we do. And then finally, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall that's a paid group gets you into a secret but not sacred facebook group uh where there's about a hundred of us we hang out and we get really deep and nerdy and and you know that everyone that's there is paid a little money to be there it's cool it's a great group uh patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall this conversation with john hilton the third he's been here before uh i was really just excited to be able to talk about some of the aspects of holy week i've started to learn more about what different denominations do and thought we would share that with you. Also, we talk about his book, Considering the Cross. It's this Good Friday episode of The Cultural Hall. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall. Uh, Wishing everyone who is listening to this in real time, and by real time I mean before General Conference and Easter weekend takes place, Happy Easter and Happy General Conference. Uh, We hope that you will follow us at The Cultural Hall as we live tweet all of the sessions of General Conference, and you can follow the hashtag General Conference and also the hashtag LDSConf so you can see all the latest and greatest, not only the spiritual messages that will come out of this year's general conference but also some you know observations like you know what did the elders quorum decorate this year for general conference that was one of my favorite from last year's general conference as we move to a virtual place uh you can also find great little nuggets tie-ins 
uh, anything that you need to know about the latest and greatest from the Cultural Hall at the Cultural Hall on Twitter. And, and while you're at it, why not find us on all social media places? Now, I thought because we are we're starting to move into some of these maybe shorter episodes uh, that that uh, we would have our old friend John Hilton the third come in and talk to us a little bit about Easter. Uh, about the Savior, about, uh, you know, not only Good Friday, which is today, Happy Good Friday, but also to be able to talk about maybe some symbolism, some things for us to consider as we've all been through a year. Maybe we're looking for a little bit of lightning. Uh, And also, he's got a new book that we'll uh, talk about as well. Welcome in, John. How are you, sir? So great. Thanks for letting me come. Now, happy Good Friday. Yeah, Happy Good Friday. Now, Happy Good seems like we're British or something. It's a Happy Good Friday. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned it, though, because a lot of times when we focus on Holy Week, we sometimes celebrate Palm Sunday and then jump straight to Easter. So I, I think it is important that we remember some of these other days as well. Well, and some people will say, Palm Sunday, who are you, John? We, we quote, Mormons, do we do the Palm Sunday thing? I want to get there. I was uh, perusing. I should also say this. If you're wondering, why are we not getting to know John a little bit more? We did that already. It's episode 453. You can go and hear all about uh, the background of John, how he got to be where he is, and all the things that he's done. There. That's the plug for that. I was, uh, I was doing a little stalking, and I noticed that you got to baptize your daughter the other day. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was super exciting. Now, as a dad, uh, and I, I know you probably want to keep at least some of that anonymous, but I would be curious. I've never had the opportunity to baptize a child. Is that unique and different? And will you talk about it from, say, like when you might have uh, baptized a convert on your mission? You know, I, I think that both are special. I, I kind of remember thinking about the first time I baptized somebody as a missionary, thinking about Alma on his mission as he goes to the waters of Mormon, it, you know, it kind of feels like this special moment there. And I had a similar moment um, this past week when I got to baptize my daughter just to reflect. And she's my youngest. So I thought this is, you know, most likely the last time I'll get to baptize one of my children. And hopefully I'll be able to participate in other baptisms in the future. But, but just to think about how special it is to be a part of someone coming into a covenant with Jesus Christ. In, in addition, obviously, to note that it's someone that you are going to be sealed to in the eternities, I think that's just sort of an added level. Right. And someone that you've been able to teach in your own home, you know, maybe if as a missionary, there might be someone I teach for a few weeks, maybe a few months. But, you know, here in this case, we've been teaching for years and we'll continue that relationship. So it is special. I would be curious, just because we live in a unique time right now with COVID and the various restrictions, was the baptism different um, for your daughter than other children? Uh, you know, I think our stake did a great job of it. There, there were some limitations on the number of people that were allowed to come, but still grandparents were there and some of the aunts and uncles and cousins came. It was, it was a close-knit group, but I don't think that my daughter, we'll have to see, but I think three or four years from now, I don't think she'll remember her baptism in connection with COVID. Mm. You know, I, I think probably people who were baptized maybe a year ago, the face masks and all, it was so new that it just, it's kind of permanently blended together. But for us, I, I think it was as close to normal as can be in this time. And I don't think it's going to be something that we think of in terms of COVID, but rather her baptism. Yeah. And still by immersion, I hope. Still, Yes, still by immersion, <laughs> still with witnesses. Although that was one, one difference with uh, previous baptisms. There's been a, a few years since we've had another child get baptized. And so in this case, our the two siblings just older then the daughter that got baptized served as the witnesses. And cool. that wasn't something that we could do for previous baptisms. 
Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And as you mentioned, uh, it is your last child, unless, of course, your wife sits you down and says, we have a blessing from heaven, at which point. <laughs> True, you can never, you can never yeah. close the doors on these yeah. kinds of things. Yeah. I always love that when I talk to friends, because I'm starting to get to the age where people have sort of done their family plan, and I'm like, oh, another one, huh? And they just look at me and they're like, well, I mean, I guess, <laughs> I guess we were meant to have another one. Very much a, a, a fun surprise as far as that goes. All right, all right. All the all the uh, kind of fun and getting reacquainted and that stuff out of the way. Uh, I want to talk about where we started. Uh, it seems, I don't know if on trend is sort of the thing uh, that I would want to couch it as, but it seems very much that members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints now, today, 2021, are far more open to the idea of the Easter celebration, that being... Um, celebrating things like Palm Sunday, like Good Friday, learning more about them and observing other religious practices. Do you think that's a fair statement? I do. I don't have any empirical data to support it, but as I kind of look at what my, just five minutes before we started recording, I got a text message from someone in my ward who's really interested in thinking about, hey, how can we plan some Holy Week celebrations? How can we do a Seder? How can we do some of these different things? And I think it is much more on the forefront of people's minds than maybe 20 or even 10 years ago. So let me ask you, what is your attitudes towards that? Do you think that that's good? It allows us to understand how other people walk, or do you think that that sort of clouds the, you know, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints observance of how we should look at these kind of holidays? I think it's the more we can bring Jesus into our lives, the better. And so there are some great opportunities that maybe some of us missed in our childhoods to speak more about Jesus Christ, whether that's in our families or in our social circles. So, I mean, and we could even go back further, right? We could go to Ash Wednesday and Lent that we in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints don't institutionally observe, but there are some great opportunities for us to talk to our friends who do observe those, and maybe for some of us to privately practice those. And when it comes to larger events, such as Good Friday, which for many Christians is the holiest day of the year, right there with Easter and Christmas. What a great opportunity for us to spend more time focusing on and speaking about Jesus Christ. So I want to pick up a couple of those things, just real quick sort of uh, explanations of what they are. First of all, Ash Wednesday. Second of all, Lent. And then just this past Sunday being Palm Sunday. Give people just a quick idea if they're like, I, I've heard these. They're, they always come instilled on my calendar, whether digitally or my calendar that I hang on the wall. But I don't know what they are. What are those three particular? So um, Ash Wednesday marks the start of Lent and a buildup to Easter. So 40 days prior to... 40 days prior to Good Friday is when we'll start the celebration of Lent. And it commemorates the time that Jesus is fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. And it's an opportunity for believers in Christ to sort of purify themselves, sanctify themselves, leading up to this final week in the Savior's life. Um, and actually, I think it's, it's interesting to note that if you were to just Google, what's a good phrase to Google? You could Google Ash Wednesday, Salt Lake City teacher. <laughs> and you'd find that a couple of years ago, you may be familiar with this story, um, a Catholic boy in Salt Lake City 
had a little cross on his forehead for Ash Wednesday and his teacher made him mark it off. And it was kind of a big scandal in the paper. And eventually the boy got to go meet with President Trump about religious freedom. But, but it just, to me, goes to show that we, we should be aware of this. And it's not rocket science. You could just Google Palm Sunday, Google Lent, and just find out what Wikipedia says about it or look on YouTube and see a Catholic talk about their practices. And this does not mean that we need to adopt all those practices. And I'm not arguing with the church institutionally should or shouldn't do. But I think just to be aware and to have an open door for conversation. Mm-hmm. Again, President Elder Anderson in our most recent conference said, if others are going to speak less about Jesus, we need to speak more about him along with fellow Christians. So this is a great opportunity for us to build bridges. Makes us a good Christian citizen to be to be aware. So that is Ash Wednesday. So then obviously Lent is sort of that time when I think typically uh, the sort of social structure around Lent is what are you giving up? What are you what are you going without for the next little while? Um, and that obviously back to the to, to the Savior fasting. Yeah, and I, I do think it's becoming increasingly common, at least among some, to not, not only focus on what am I giving up, but maybe what will I do? Mm-hmm. So you know, maybe to have a focus on humanitarian work or service or prayer you know, are also possibilities. So if we, as we've just passed, uh, you know, as we share this, the Friday before general conferences, we've just passed Palm Sunday. Uh, what, what, what is that all about? So Palm Sunday marks the start of what's often referred to as Holy Week. So Holy Week is the week from Palm Sunday through Easter Sunday. And it's the day of the triumphal entry as Christ is entering Jerusalem. So that, that's the, the Palm Sunday is, reminds us of people putting down the palm fronds as Christ enters triumphantly in. Uh, and that marks the start of our Holy Week. And now we lead us to today, which is Good Friday uh, what what should we be doing? Have I already broken it? I ate this morning. Should I not have eaten on Good Friday? I, I don't know what practices I should be doing. Well, uh, the good news is you have a lot of flexibility in what how you choose to do it. Uh, one thing I do want to say, there's a common misconception. You'll hear people say that we call it Good Friday because what happened on this Friday was good for humanity or that maybe good is related to God. Mm-hmm. And those explanations most likely aren't correct. The good and Good Friday comes from an older English word, which also means holy. In fact, if you were to look at the phrase Good Friday in Spanish or French, it literally translates into Holy Friday. Hmm. I think that's maybe a helpful frame. This is the day that Jesus Christ was crucified. And for some Latter-day Saints, we might say, well, we focus on the living Christ. So let's, let's kind of skip past the crucifixion. But I think that's a mistake because this is the event that Jesus Christ personally defined as his greatest act of love. So we worship the living Christ and the loving Christ. And Good Friday is a wonderful opportunity to reflect on how the cross symbolizes the love that God and Jesus have for us. Yeah, almost that auto response, right? When when we talk about the cross or we talk about anything surrounding the crucifixion, we have that sort of manufactured, well, we celebrate the living Christ, and so we don't focus on those things. But if you, just to reiterate the words that you just said, if you consider that Christ considers this to be the most loving gift and we just sort of ignore it, like, we don't want to talk about it. Let's talk about the other stuff. How would that be if the greatest gift you gave your wife or that you gave your child, you know, you, you spend a whole lifetime preparing it, and they go, yeah, 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 I don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about another thing that you did. I, I can't imagine that that wouldn't hurt a little. And it is really interesting if you read in Scripture just the words of Jesus Christ. He talks on one powerful occasion in Doctrine and Covenants section 19 about what he suffered in Gethsemane. On the other end, there's more than 20 times where he talks about his crucifixion. 
So I'm not trying to create a competition between Gethsemane and Calvary. It's just interesting to note that exactly what you said, his emphasis is on his crucifixion. He says over and over again in the Doctrine and Covenants, I was crucified for the sins of the world. And sometimes maybe Latter-day Saints have a tendency to put most of the focus of Christ's atonement either in Gethsemane or with the living Christ, but the Savior himself is emphasizing, specifically with respect to atoning for sins, his crucifixion. So with Good Friday being Holy Friday, being today, if you're listening to this on the first day that it comes out, how does the greater Christian nation celebrate Good Friday? So there's lots of different things. Some religious traditions will do the Stations of the Cross. What does that mean? Um, So Stations of the Cross are typically 14 stations that walk you through the final 24 hours of the life of Christ. You might see, for example, Christ before Pilate or Christ being scourged, Christ carrying his cross to Golgotha. And it's meant to be a meditative opportunity for you to pause and think carefully about each of these moments in the Savior's final hours and what they mean for you. Many um, worship services include a three-hour Good Friday service. So if, if you're missing three-hour church, <laughs> you, can, you can find it. It's still around on Good Friday. Uh, and they'll often focus on the seven final statements that Jesus Christ says on the cross. Um, and, and these are actually, I think, very powerful spiritual statements that even if you don't want to go to a three-hour church today, you could find and contemplate on these seven statements and think about what they mean for you in your life. You know, a lot of people often think, too, of like the the celebration part of it. Are there particular foods to either eat or not eat or symbols that would come about particularly for Good Friday that we would we would put up or that we would share or anything like that? What one traditional food is hot cross buns. And and I do think this is a fun one. If, if you're listening right now, you're like, huh, I, I could kind of lean into this. Just quick Google recipe for hot cross buns. And it's pretty tasty. And it's basically like a sweet bun and it's marked with a cross. And this is a tradition that's been around for centuries. Um, in truth, however, many Christians, I know you ate breakfast, but many Christians will observe Good Friday as a day of fasting hmm. or actually eat less so that they can focus more of their time and energy on reflecting on Jesus Christ. And one year ago, we actually had a Good Friday fast, which I, I think was interesting because that was a great opportunity for us to unite with many other Christian faiths around the world to focus on fasting with Good Friday. I didn't know that that's where the name Hot Cross Buns came from. The only thing that I knew about them is that they were one a penny, two a penny, Hot Cross Buns, but they are religious. Yep. That's, they, they are totally religious. And, and in fact, in, during some time periods, um, it was illegal to make Hot Cross Buns on days other than Good Friday or funerals or you know very special days. It was meant to be a special food. And Oh, yeah. I, I, I highly recommend giving it a try. So when we talk about then Easter weekend, it sort of gets kicked off with Good Friday. And then we have Easter Sunday. For a lot of people, I know they go, this is where we, we take time off and we go somewhere else because it's also General Conference weekend. So we don't have to be in our ward and attend that. And we go on vacation and whatever the things may be, right? Especially after the year that we've had. But what is tip, what is sort of the typical or what do you recommend or even what do you do as the Saturday portion of the Easter weekend? Wow. I am really glad you asked th- that question because you're right. Um, I think for many of us, we, we might not celebrate Good Friday at all. And, and hopefully now we're convinced that that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. But 
I, I it's so rare to see anything on Saturday. Let, let me just share with you what I think is a powerful spiritual insight for us to reflect on. So Jesus is crucified. His disciples, they don't know about the resurrection. It's not clear to them what's going to happen. And imagine Rome, the most powerful nation, has just killed your leader. So you might be next. It's a dangerous position for you to be in. And I think that it one possibility that could have been reasonable, I mean, we're looking with 2,000 years of hindsight, so it's hard for us to see clearly, but it might have been reasonable for the disciples to flee, to get out of Jerusalem while they can, because they could be next. But I love that they stayed close to Jesus, even in the middle of tragedy. So Friday night, Saturday, Saturday night, they're close to the tomb so that these female disciples can be first at the tomb Sunday morning, and the male disciples are still in town as well. So, so I like to use that as a metaphor for the Saturday of Holy Week, where between yesterday's tragedy— Good Friday, tomorrow's triumph, Easter, but for now we're just staying close to Jesus, even though we don't know how things are going to work out. And I think metaphorically speaking, this is true for most of our lives, right? We've got tragedies, we've got the Fridays, and things are going to be resolved, but sometimes that might not even be until the next life. We're spending most of our lives metaphorically on Saturday in the middle. And so I think that on Saturday, a great contemplative practice is to read the verses about the burial of Jesus Christ, which, which actually take place on Friday, but then just to sit with them for a little bit and try to inhabit. We don't have anything written in the scriptures for this Saturday, but what, what did it feel like? How did the disciples feel not knowing how things were going to work out, but knowing that they stayed close to Jesus? And then maybe reflecting, what does that message mean for me this particular Saturday? Is it doctrine that I've invented in my mind that in the time that Christ was in the tomb was when he was sort of going elsewhere? Is that No, you didn't invent that. Uh, doctrine and Covenant section 138 talks about Jesus Christ going into the world of spirits and organizing from among the righteous uh, messengers to go teach the spirits who are in prison. So that, that actually, I think, is another great message. I, I do know some people like to read Doctrine and Covenant section 138 on Saturday, and they'll, they'll maybe call it Spirit World Saturday. Um, and, and, that's, and, and actually, I think one thing that's especially exciting thinking about recent General Conference messages about the work of salvation happening on both sides of the veil, you can really see that on that Saturday. Jesus Christ just said, it is finished on Friday on the cross, but now on Saturday, he's still at work. He's at work on both sides of the veil, moving forward. And I, I think that's a powerful message too. And then we come to likely everyone's uh, probably favorite of the holiday, of the celebrations within Easter week, I would think probably. It's easy to say Easter, Easter Sunday is your favorite. But as we think of the resurrection, the hope, especially given the year that we have had where we're just like, give me some hope. Can we get to Easter Sunday? That will be a year and, you know, being able to unite in Christ, um, both as a Christian nation and as a church, and that it happens to be uh, an, another opportunity to likely, uh, barring any sort of terrible tragedy, likely be able to hear from God's prophet again this Sunday as part of an Easter Sunday message. What what will you be doing different for this year's Easter Sunday celebration that you haven't, or what will you be doing more of, maybe? One of the things that I do think is really powerful is to deeply study the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And by deeply study, I mean, oftentimes in the past, maybe I would read like Matthew 28 or Mark 16, just read a chapter and like, okay, great, I got it. But what if on Easter Sunday, and, and this is, you know, more for 
I'm not talking about how to help your family. If you've got lots of little kids running around, this is not the right activity. Mm -hmm. But if you as an adult are looking for a contemplative activity, what if we were to take an hour and just read side by side what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John say about the resurrection? What if we were to notice little small similarities, but also small differences in their accounts? And what new things might this highlight? And just one example, recently I was you know, carefully reading the different accounts. And I noticed that in Matthew, he specifies that the women ran from the tomb to go and spread the word about Jesus's resurrection. And I thought to myself, oh, wow, do I have that kind of excitement? They did run. Am I like figuratively speaking, running to tell people about Jesus Christ? Or am I more kind of hesitant, poking along? And I think there's lots of little scriptural nuggets like that, that we could find by but maybe just carving out a little time to carefully think about and reflect on what the scriptures teach about the Savior's resurrection. And I like that you put that as a focus maybe for, you know, adults, those people that are looking to find that that greater sort of connection and to take some time and, and get in. Where you mentioned, uh, or I guess I brought it up at the beginning of this, that you have kids, um, that you've had the opportunity to sort of instruct them. Get, give, a, give a helpline, give a, you know, give a, one of those swimming donuts to the people who are like, I just want to teach my kids a little bit about Easter, just like the tiniest nugget that will allow them to think that it's more than artificial grass, how much sugar that they can eat from their Easter baskets, where's the Easter bunny? Like what would how what what is either either a great uh, object lesson or, or something that you feel like really can resonate with kids that that parents could hear this and share? Well, one one thing that I've I increasingly hear people talking about doing is moving the Easter bunny to a different day. Mm. So some people have the Easter bunny come on Saturday or in our family we actually have the spring bunny and the spring bunny comes a week or two before Easter so that all of the Easter stuff that we might do on, you know, like that I did growing up on Easter morning with the chocolates and the jelly beans, that's all moved before Holy Week. So we we want to have the fun and the celebration, but then we have a space for it. Now, I, I know that sugar is a big part of some families' uh, celebrations. And so if you were to just Google Easter resurrection rolls, there's a very simple recipe that involves putting a marshmallow inside a Rhodes roll. And so when you open it up, the way the marshmallow has expanded, the, the roll is empty. So you have like a little symbol of the empty tomb. And hopefully your kids have enough fun opening the roll and eating the roll so to give you enough time to maybe read the resurrection account to them or share a testimony while they're enjoying their resurrection role on Sunday morning. Now you say kids for that, but that seems to me like that would be an opportunity for me to take a few minutes and actually contemplate <laughs> it. I love that. I've never heard that. And I'm sure that there are lots of people that are like, Richie didn't know resurrection roles. That's, but that's, that is a great, great, great tip. Uh, I, I want to take a break real quick. And when we come back, I want to talk about your latest book, Considering the Cross, uh, talk about why you wrote it. Come on, you're right. You're like a book machine, John. Uh, and we'll, and we'll let, let people know how they can pick it up. We'll do that coming back in the second block of the Cultural Hall. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. 
When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Let me take a brief moment to tell you about Best DJ in Utah. It's BestDJInUtah.com. In addition to doing this here show, I often find myself playing music for uh, company parties or uh, for you know community events. You can also find me playing music for weddings. And the way that you get in touch with me, if you would like to have me at your wedding, bestdjinutah.com. I've done several for Friends of the Hall, uh, those lifers or converts who listen to the show and think, man, he does great there on the show. I'd love to have him DJ the wedding. Uh, it's bestdjinutah.com. Now, you're thinking, bestdjinutah.com, did he just buy the domain and that's it? Well, kind of, but also I am the highest and most reviewed DJ in the state of Utah. How about that? bestdjinutah.com. Hey, this is Dan, the laptop man from PC Laptops. Friends, I know a lot of you guys and girls are working from home. So here's some tips for making sure your computer's ready for working at home, because if your computer fails, it's going to be really hard to get it fixed because of dwindling supply and parts. But we have parts right now, and we have a limited supply of new computers available for you. Make sure your computer is healthy and virus and malware-free. Hackers are trying to infect people and stealing their information during these challenging times. We'll scan the health of your computer for viruses and malware, plus scan your hard drive, memory, and components to make sure you don't have any failing parts. You want to make sure you have strong antivirus and malware protection software as well. Just get into any PC laptops and we'll check your hardware and your software and scan your computer for viruses for absolutely free. Just go to PCLaptops.com. At PC Laptops, we've been serving you for over 28 years, and we've got your back during these times of need. We're all in this together. So just go to PCLaptops.com and we'll get you taken care of. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, if you want to see how good-looking John is and how handsome his office is, you have to be a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall. And also, if you were a Patreon saint, you would see that he, when I said he's attractive, he went, what, me? What? This is uncomfortable. Uh, you go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. That allows you into the uh, secret but not sacred Facebook group uh, where you can see all the videos of the various episodes that we do and you'll be able to see them and hear them before anyone else. John, uh, this is your what book? Considering the cross is your what number book? That's a great question. I, I honestly don't know. Maybe 14th? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I should count. <laughs> uh, I feel like at some point, too, you transfer in uh, from books to volumes. The latest volume from John Hilton III, uh, Considering the Cross. Tell me a little bit about it. So I, I will say that of all the books that I've written, I'm really excited about this one because for me personally, and I hope for others who read it, it's sort of been a game changer in how I think about the atonement of Jesus Christ. I mean, if we step back, I think we can agree that Christ's atonement is the most important event that's ever happened on the earth through this point. And if I if I think about how in the past I talked about or focused or taught Christ's atonement, I did a lot with Gethsemane, tiny bit with the cross, and then jump ahead to the resurrection. But what I've come to realize is any increase in our understanding of Christ's atoning sacrifice will help us feel more connected with the Savior. And so it was almost like there was this low-hanging fruit, the crucifixion, that I had kind of put off to the side but there was so much to learn about it and so many opportunities to, as a result, draw closer to Jesus Christ that it's completely changed how I view the sacrament or temple ordinances, uh, other connective experiences with the Savior. 
Where you consider that the particularly unique things that we have within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints make us who we are, and, you know, especially when we talk about eternal families and uh, eternal life and the ceiling and all those things. Uh, And then we look at our friends in other Christian denominations, and they do talk more about the crucifixion and about the cross. Do you feel like as we, you know, we have our missionary effort to be able to share uh, our doctrine with others that we would benefit a great deal, especially in this area of the crucifixion, about going and attending other churches or reading books from other authors uh, about the crucifixion? So here's one that's really interesting, and you've kind of touched on two different things. There's the cross as a symbol, Mm -hmm. which institutionally we don't use, but there's also the crucifixion as a doctrine which our scriptures are full of teachings. In fact, Joseph Smith in his writings and sermon, he never talked about Christ suffering for our sins in Gethsemane, but repeatedly he focused on the crucifixion and how Christ died for our sins. And that's just one illustration of how doctrinally within the church, we have a rich heritage of crucifixion, understanding and teaching. And so I actually think this is a great opportunity for us to build a bridge between Latter-day Saints and other Christians. If I were serving as a missionary today, for example, and I saw someone wearing a cross necklace, I'd go up to them and be like, oh, wow, like I see that you believe in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That's awesome. Tell me your thoughts about it. And after listening to them, I'd say, you know, I've got a book. And in this book, Jesus comes to the new world. And he says specifically to them, my father sent me that I might be lifted up upon the cross. Would you be interested in seeing what this additional book of scripture teaches about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? Because it's mentioned multiple times in the Book of Mormon. So, so I think that's maybe one example. And you're, I think you're, you're definitely on the right track where there's a lot that we can learn. To use a, maybe a video example, I, I know recently lots of Latter-day Saints have been enjoying the Chosen mm-hmm. uh, video series. Well, that's, that's one of many examples of movies produced outside the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints about Jesus Christ. Like there's the Gospel of John, there's the Son of God. These are great movies that if you haven't seen, that's a, that's a great way to spend your Good Friday or Easter Sunday. And just like we can learn from movies that are produced outside the church, I think there are a host of great books about Christ's crucifixion that we could also gain wonderful insights from. With a rich history, as you indicate, from Joseph Smith about crucifixion, and within our doctrine, but we don't find ourselves speaking very very much about it nowadays. Certainly the need uh, for the book which you've written, Considering Cross. Why is that? Why don't we? So I think there's a couple of reasons. Um, maybe the most prominent is just the cross iconography, because we don't use the cross as a symbol, and other Christians do. We may have sort of put it more on the back burner. But it's interesting to note that it, historically in the church, there hasn't always been an aversion to the cross. For example, in 1916, there was a proposal approved by President Joseph F. Smith, the prophet, to put a cross on Ensign Peak to symbolize to the world our Christian message. Uh, And so even though that proposal was eventually shelved, it just goes to show that how the cross as a symbol is looked at has changed over time. And I think if we are able to kind of recapture some of our own history, for example, we, we often will refer to the cross now as like, well, that's that's the death of Christ, and we focus on the living Christ. There, For example, I was just reading in uh, some of the older magazines, the Young Women's Magazine, the Relief Society Magazine, and they talk about the cross as a symbol of love, the mm-hmm. cross as a symbol of glory. And so I, I think it's important for us to realize that symbols are multifaceted. They have lots of layers of meaning. 
And again, this is an opportunity for us to build a bridge. I, I'm certainly not suggesting that everyone needs to go out and buy a cross necklace, but certainly any type of stigma around wearing a cross should be removed. It would be completely inappropriate for a primary teacher to say to a child like, hey, don't wear a cross necklace here. And you might say, well, duh. But I, I bring that up because I recently heard of a new convert, a nine-year-old who was told by her primary teacher, hey, don't do that. I just think, are we trying to drive people out of the church or welcome people in? And, you know, clearly there are certain standards, but whether or not you wear a cross is not one of those standards. That's a cultural practice, which you can do or not do depending on what your feelings are. Is considering the cross sort of a doctrinal approach? Is it a, give me an idea of how the book reads. So the, the full title of the book is Considering the Cross, How Calvary Connects Us with Christ. And I think it's that subtitle is the most important part of the book in that it is a doctrinal work. It's looking at what does the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Bible, what have church leaders taught about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? And there's a lot of just teachings that are out there that maybe we've looked over, we just haven't focused on because we have this sort of mental block around the crucifixion that once that's gone, we're like, oh, wow, that this is amazing. There's so many minor characters like Barabbas or Simon who carries Jesus's cross or Mary Magdalene who's at the cross. And I think there's many lessons that we can learn from them that we might overlook. So, so I, I think the, the book, uh, it has a little bit of history where we talk about the history of the cross as a symbol, both in early Christian times, as well as within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But it's primarily a doctrinal book that's meant to be applicable. It's, it's trying to say, here's the doctrine of Christ's crucifixion. Now, how can this change our lives by connecting us with Jesus Christ? Available through Deseret Book, I presume. Yep. Yep. It's on Amazon, DeseretBook.com, local Deseret Bookstores, other uh, LDS booksellers. And if people go to uh, theculturalhall.com, because anyone uh, that we interview here on the show, uh, they get a discount if they click on the link that's on the front of theculturalhall.com. You'll find uh, John's book there in the bookstore, the little bookshop, the digital bookshop. You can click on it and save yourself a little bit of money and then check out. Uh, is it available in audio? If people, I have found myself really enjoying religious texts in audio. Do you read it? I do. So I, I did read the audio version. It's on the Deseret Bookshelf app. Do you have different voices? Like, do you have a Barabbas voice? <laughs> have not quite taken it to that level. Um, and, and Richie, I don't know if you have a space for this on, on the cultural hall or in the show notes. Um, I'd be happy to share a free a PDF chapter from the book, if that's uh, absolutely, absolutely. So we'll put that in the show notes as well for people to be able to check out. I would be curious as we go into this conference weekend, um, are, are there any sort of predictions, things that you think that we'll hear about this weekend, uh, whether doctrinally or culturally that you're particularly excited about? I'm going to take a wild stab and predict that there's going to be a heavy focus on Jesus Christ. <laughs> you think, huh? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll allow it. I will allow it. Again, just a reminder to anyone, uh, whenever we put out episodes, whenever we have a general conference, you can find us on any of the social medias as we'll share the message about that. Uh, John, we've asked you the other questions in the past, uh, and it wasn't the not, it was not too distant as far as uh, when it, it was. So I will just ask you the last question uh, today as we sit coming on this Good Friday into Easter weekend. What is your favorite part of your faith? I think the favorite part of my faith is the hope that it gives me in Jesus Christ. Um, to kind of go back to what we talked about earlier, when we're in the Saturdays of our lives, to know that ultimately Jesus wins, 
it's kind of like if I'm watching a sporting event and my team is behind, it feels so stressful. It's like, how can we ever come back? But if I knew from the very beginning of the game that my team would win, I could just relax. And I love that in the gospel, I have this hope in Jesus Christ that yes, there's going to be difficulties and there's going to be hard things, some things that aren't even going to be resolved in this life, but I can have an ultimate hope in Jesus Christ because he's already won the victory. Yeah. Let me ask you, John, how old are you? If you don't mind me asking. I don't mind. I'm 43 years old. Okay, so you are of the generation that I am where we really liked the Back to the Future trilogy. Do you like those movies? So, fun story. I have just finished watching uh, the trilogy with my kids. Okay. Um, it's on Clearplay and VidAngel, which I don't know if just if you've uh, watched those recently, you may have noticed some stuff that went over your head as a kid that you might not want to watch with your kids. But I guess that's <laughs> up to everyone's discretion. But in any event, we loved watching them cleaned up a little bit, and it's been really fun. Great. Uh, what what I always like to think of, and I hope I hope this isn't blasphemy. I don't feel like it is. Uh, but if you consider in Back to the Future Two, uh, the Gray's Sports Almanac and how he's able to know who's going to win each of the different sporting events and, and mm. all of those things. You can just bet on Jesus. It's going to be, it'll be Jesus in, that wins in all of it, and uh, the, the faithful will be the ones. Even when it looks like buzzer beater at the end, we can, we can be able to bet and find our way through that. I hope that's not crude. Do you feel like that's crude, blasphemous? I love it. Okay. That's great. <laughs> we, we've, we've got it in the future, and we've seen how it's going to end. We hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show.